I'm Gab, he's Robbo in for Jules. Uh, gray skies over West London, gray skies over Rome too. Um, Chelsea have a new manager, Mauricio Pochettino. Mm. We'll be getting into that. We'll be talking about the future of Harry Maguire. We're talking about Juventus and their their, their plea bargain. But Robbo, we have to start with the Europa League yep. final on Wednesday night. Uh, it went to penalties and Sevilla seven times out mm. of seven have now won this competition, which I find absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, is it Unai Emery? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? No, clearly it's clearly it's Sevilla. Yeah. It's, it's that red and white. It's, it's that kind of stardust. I mean, they were deserving, would yes, you say? In terms- they, they were deserving. Not, not the first 30 minutes, because they couldn't find a way to break down Roma, and Roma had one or two opportunities. But Mendilibar did, a, I thought, the right thing at half-time. He made a couple of substitutes. And it wasn't just the personnel. It was the way they played in the second half, or the way they found space out in the wide area, particularly down the right-hand side. And they got more players into the box. They got their full-backs higher up the field. Uh, Fernando played just in front of the two centre-halves so they could get their full-backs higher up and got more crosses into the box. Because in the first half, when they did that, and Naziri was isolated. Um, Hill was playing too wide. Uh, Campos was playing too wide. But in the second half, they got more players into the danger area and they looked a much better. T- and they kept the pressure on. So when Roma cleared it, they got onto the next ball and got another cross into the box. What, what struck me about this, though, is you, you talked about how Mendilibar made adjustments. Mm. I mean, mm. I agree with you. I, I thought Roma came out of the gates really well. Yeah. Um, you know, based on the standard where mm. they played, they got the big lift from being able to start Dybala. Um, and then in the second half, they just get sucked back. And it, it it follows a certain script that we've seen mm. with Mourinho, which, I, again, I don't have an issue with it mm. because it often does work, which is sit back, wait for the moment, wait for the set piece, wait for Dybala mm. to do something. Um, and you know what? Mourinho can go back, and we'll get to the referee in a minute because he had an issue with that. He can go back and he can say, you know what? All you people out there who talk to me mm. about, um, you know, which side was more attacking and this and that, why don't you go back? Both teams hit the woodwork once, right? Mm. Roma scored a goal. Yeah. Sevilla had a had an own goal, which, you know, dangerous cross into the box, but an own goal I think is always unlucky when your defender can't mm-hmm. clear it. And then the next two best chances in the game were both Roma's, right? Belotti's one at the end where uh, Bono made a very good save. And, uh, and and that almighty goal mouth scramble where both Tammy and then uh, Ibanez couldn't score. So if you break it down like this, if you break it down into who had the better chances, could Mourinho not say, I'm vindicated? Not really, uh, because... Respect! It, in that, Respect! Not from Mourinho's... Uh, in that... In the first half, they should have carried on playing like they did in the first half, where they still played with two up front. They pressed the ball higher up the field. Uh, it meant that when Sevilla were trying to play through them, it wasn't particularly easy to play through them. They had they were compact, but they were also ready to counterattack. The deeper they got, and he just didn't adjust to what Mendilibar did in the in the second half by getting more players out in the wide area, creating an overload, and getting more crosses into the box. And that was the disappointing thing. You know, years ago, Mourinho, I always thought, was a master tactician. He made quick decisions. You know, I'm going to change that. I'm going to take him off after 30 minutes because that's not working. I'm going to do this. When he was at right. Chelsea, I thought everything he did usually came off. I look at him now, and most things, he either... When I watch Roma this season, I'm not quite sure what their game plan is. And that's always a worry when I look at a manager. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would tend to agree with that. I, I'd throw in too, by, by playing so deep. I mean, Roma's 
biggest attacking threat once Dybala come off mm. and you know once Pellegrini well, he also came off mm. you know is always Spirazzola mm. when you defend so deep with five it means that when you win the ball back Spinazzola has to go and he's got to cover so much ground to even get to try to press. Yeah. And, you know, you're, 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 you're hurting yourself. Now, I don't know. I, they, 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 they had, uh, I watched it on Ryan Italian television and they had a pitch side reporter and the pitch side reporter kept saying, oh, Mourinho's telling his men, like, guys, don't defend too deep. Don't defend too deep. So Mourinho, I mean, assuming mm. this reporter was making it up, Mourinho realized that they were defending too deep. Mm. And yet, the players couldn't execute? Did the players get, is this how a player's mind works? They just get sucked back? They get pushed back? What, what is it? I thought it said everything by the way they celebrated Dybala's goal. In their minds, they celebrated the goal as if they'd won the game. Now they're not going to... Sevilla won't score. They won't, they won't break us down. We're good enough defensively to win the game now from 1-0. And from that point on, Sevilla looked a much better side. The last five, ten minutes of the first half and for the rest of the game, they looked the more threatening despite the chances that Roma had. I thought Sevilla always looked the side that we're going to get more balls into the box, going to be more threatening and cause more problems. Mourinho, hugely unhappy with the referee after the game. We'll tell you about what happened when he confronted uh, Anthony Taylor afterwards in the car park. Um, I'll just give you a little taste from my perspective. Two big decisions in the game. Taylor got them correct. Beyond that, in the game management, not a great night for Anthony Taylor. But let's get the, the two big decisions out of the way. And I don't think this is necessarily what incensed Mourinho so much. I think it was more about the game management. Um, but... Dealing with the two, there was the the penalty that that was given, mm. and then Stuart Atwell on the VAR intervened, and mm. there is a slight touch from yep. from Roger Banyas, right? So that was the correct decision. Right? Correct decision by the VAR. I do want to say though, if you're if you were the manager there, uh, you can say it was a correct decision and shouldn't have been a penalty, but you're not happy with your defending there, are you? No, because I think he'd, he'd, I mean, <laughs> so the, the, the last to... tackle was okay, but what happened before that for him to get into that position was poor defending. And also, it is a last ditch effort where mm. you can't be sure of getting no. to the ball. He just barely got there. So um, the other big call was the handball. Yeah. Um, what'd you make of it? Correct decision not to give it? Uh, if I was the VAR and I was the referee, I wouldn't give it. But I have to say, I have seen a lot of. Uh, handballs given for that but I wouldn't I think his arm was down by his side enough down by his side it wasn't out and uh, raised uh, there's arguments that, that he was quite a way away from the ball when it was crossed so he could have reacted quicker I'm not sure that's the case I think it was the right decision by the referee and the VAR not to give a penalty I mean I think we, we, we did the uh, FC show last night mm. and I can't remember I think it was, it was Ali, Ali who, who, who knows who knows all the dark arts oh yes uh, although he doesn't like you saying that <laughs> let me say, but he prides himself on it but but I, I don't know is there I mean Fernando's a, a veteran player the ball comes from a long way off as a footballer, are you going to gamble on, like, let me intercept no. this ball and I can make it look as if just by leaning my Because it wasn't even a good cross, because the cross was... was yeah, I... Was, I, I, I there's, I'm, no way, there's no way he was trying to gain an advantage. It just hit him on the arm. I'm with you. I think that goes into the mm. seen them given yeah. category. Mm. I don't think you can get angry with that. No. Um, in terms of the way the game unfolded, it was exceptionally chippy. You know, I, I had a lot of neutrals. It's always happens, right? You have a lot of neutrals on your timeline who, you know, they're not invested in the game. And, and for me, I think mm. if, look, if you're invested in the game, 
it's still a spectacle. It's a different kind yeah. of spectacle. It of may course. not be entertaining and whatever, but this is tense yeah. things matters. It's a classic thing. I always make the point, right? If England are in a World Cup final and it's tense and it's Maguire beating his chest and whatever, and you know, you win one nil because the ball Everybody's comes off happy. of uh, Harry Kane's backside, you're like, this is the greatest night of my life. So mm. I, I always think neutral is being sniffy about it. Ooh, the spectacle. Like, yeah. That said, I do think the referee could have had a better handle on the mm. game and calmed things down and we could have seen more ball in play. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, it was something like 26 minutes in total of time added on. He must have known, Anthony Taylor must have known before the game what to expect. You only have to watch Roma this season and the way Mourinho's been booked, uh, I think it's four times now, uh, his staff have been sent off in other games, the players all get round the referee. He must have known this was going to be the case. So he must have had a plan how he was going to deal with it. The only thing he could have done was give yellow cards quicker. In the very first he time, out, players I think got he gave out six to Roma, something like that. He did, but it was over a period of time. If right. it had said in the first couple of minutes, if you're going to argue with me and keep coming around me, there's a yellow card. And everyone goes, oh, hang on, we can't do that. But he didn't do that. So the players carried on and they, they obviously did it in turn. The staff did it in turn. I mean, this couple of the Roma staff, when they got sent yeah. off, they were, they were chuckling to themselves. You know, that, that was our job. That's what we were meant to be doing. We were meant to be getting around the referee. We were meant to be getting around the fourth official. And Sevilla started to do it. They responded in exactly the same way in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there was so much back and forth with both benches coming mm. in and stuff. Look, I, I, I don't mind it. Mm. There is a WWE element. There's a spectacle on it. Mm. The, the stakes are high. You do what you need to do to win. The referee has the authority to punish you. And so, you know, you're taking a chance when you do it. And mm. if you're smart about it, you, you get away with it. You know, there, there's a big, there's a lot of psychology that goes into this my, too. My issue is, with it is, is that when I was coaching, I used to look at the opponent's bench and think, there's actually no tactical information coming from you at all. There's no encouragement for your team. There's no actual uh, positivity. All you're doing is having a go at the fourth official, the referee, well, we and the assistant we, we, referee. And you just, that, that can't be right over a period of time. We don't know that. We don't know. I mean, we only see the arguments. Mm. Right? There's nothing we have, we have access to mm. a camera trained on the bench. I mean, I, I think they, they certainly Mandilibar did. I think Mourinho mm. too. Um, the other call that really annoyed Mourinho and this annoyed me too and I think on this one Mourinho has a hundred percent a point is late in the game uh Lamela barges Ibanez off mm. the ball I mean the, the ball's nowhere near no you know, he's got no mm. chance of getting the ball that is always a yellow card Taylor instead goes and books Ocampos you know one Argentine winger for another I don't think Taylor got confused mm. I don't know if Taylor said, oh, I better, it's 120th minute or, you know, or whatever. I don't want to send him off. And then Mourinho made a big deal of the fact that Lamella then took the penalty and blah, 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 which whatever. But, but I'll, I'll take you away from that and say the first yellow card for, for Lamella shouldn't have even been a foul. He was in possession of the ball right. and he put his arm out to, to shield, the, shield the ball from the player and the player went down. It was Ibanez who went down with a cut. Yeah, he had a cut on his lip, but it wasn't Lamella's fault. So it, that was the yellow card he got in the first place. You don't think Lamella... He did not throw an elbow or put his arm out to hurt Ibanez. Ibanez came into him and it was almost a foul the other way, in my view. I disagree with that one. Um, let's get back to Mourinho. Afterwards, uh, you were known to often confront referees in car parks oh, in your course, coaching yeah. days. What, what do we make of this? Because he goes down to where the buses are. Uh, he knows that there's cameras there, which is why this is all caught mm. on camera. It's very, very visible. And he starts shouting at Anthony Taylor. This is 
you know, a good, he's already gone and done his media commitments and whatever. So it's a good, like, sort of 40, 45 mm. minutes after the game. Um, he calls Mourinho an effing disgrace. Sorry, he calls Taylor, whatever. Um, is this part of the theater? Is it genuine? Is it him being an angry loser? I think it's part, it's part of all of those things. And I also think it's almost trying to make excuses. You know, uh, we've got beaten or whatever. And it's the referee's fault. That's the problem. You know, we we, we, we would have won the game, but the referee has caused all the problems. That's what he's telling the Roma fans. That's what he's telling the people in Italy. You can't carry on doing that because now, if I, if I was a chairman or anybody involved in football, I'd look at Mourinho and I said, he's too, he's too hard to handle. He's, he's doing things that I don't respect anymore. He's doing things that can bring the club into disrepute. And it's, it's, it's madness. Well, he has a big call to make now because he's got a year left uh, on his Roma contract. He started, you know, back in February, mm. kind of coming out and saying like, well, you know, I know I have a year left after this one, but, you know, we need to sit down and agree a new deal because I'm not used to working with just a year left on my deal. Mm. You know, we should go and talk about it now. Um, you know, the club, the Friedkins, I think, to their credit, said, no, 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 you got a contract. Mm. We signed your contract. We're going to pay you regardless. Like... We're going to sit down at the end of the season, see where we are, see if we're in the Champions League, and make mm. a plan. And, you know, we can go and have a conversation mm. then about your contract. Um, so he kind of got all mopey about it. He doubled down on it several times. He said, I have to do everything around here. The club's not present enough. He wanted the club to complain about fixture congestion. He wanted the club to complain about referees. They didn't. So it was left to him to do it. Mm. Um, you know... <sighs> The, the it, thing is, do you think sixth place, two years running in Serie A, is good enough for Roma? Well, you could look at it that way. He would come back and say, respect. I won the Europa Conference League yeah. last year. I got us to a Europa League final this year. Um, you know, he can come out. He, he'll come out and say things. And this is mm. what, what does my head in. I think Roma's net spend was something like $7 million, mm. right, this year. So he can mm. come out. He's going to come out to say this, right? Talk about net spend and how they didn't spend a lot of money. Well, the year before... They were like the third or fourth biggest net spenders mm. in Europe, mm. right? In his first season. Yeah. Secondly, yeah, not a lot of net spend, but you signed a bunch of very expensive free agents like Vinaldum, uh, like uh, like Andrea Belotti, mm. uh, and you have, I think, off the top of my head, I think it's the fourth highest, maybe third mm. highest wage bill in Serie A. So, you know, there's this constant sense when he talks that he's trying to manipulate you one way or the other, in a not very subtle way. All that said. He has galvanized Rome. He's galvanized his fan base. They're happy. They're showing up at the stadium. They love him. And I think they're mature enough that they can see through his faults. If I'm Friedkin, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, he can be a pain in the butt, but he's like a lightning rod. Mm. The fans are happy. They're showing up. We're maybe not getting the results that we want to get. Maybe I'm okay with that. Yeah, I can see that. If if you got bigger bigger fan base at the moment and more people are coming through the turnstiles, and but you've got to be doing better than six uh, twice in Serie A. You know, the, you've got to be challenging the Inters. You've got to be challenging right. Milan. You've well, got to he be would point out Napoli. that without the Juve points penalty, then he wouldn't have rested his players, and he would have made a bigger effort. Like when when the Juve points penalty was taken away, I. He thought, all right, now we've got no chance at top four. And then they reinstated the penalty. So now he's like, oh, we would have had a chance at top four. But um, I didn't know that, that at the time. Hence, I rotated my team and rested my players. 
it'd be yeah. safer to, to play your best players and, and try and get into the top four no matter what. Well, here's my other thing, which I genuinely don't understand. This is not a Mourinho issue. Mm. This is a sports science fitness issue. You, mm. Obviously, you've, been, yeah, yeah, you've got yeah, a background yeah, yeah. in that as well. I get that players need to rotate. I, I, I get that. Mm. I do not understand Tammy Abraham at his age... Um, you know, for the past six weeks, Mourinho has, he's always played kind of the B team in the mm. league, which is why they've dropped points and put all his energies towards the Europa League, which, you know, makes sense. I, I don't have an issue with that. So as a result, he, this was only his fourth start in the month of May. So he started four games in 31 mm. days. Pellegrini, I think this was his fifth start, right? Pellegrini, I think, was, he started one other game in the last three weeks, right? Why do you have to take these guys off? Why do you have to take Tammy Abraham off after 74 minutes, especially to bring in Belotti, who, of course, scored zero goals in Serie A this season, right? Why does his fitness just break down like that? Why does Pellegrini's fitness just... Or or does it break down? I mean, this is what I'm wondering, right? Because you're replacing good players with not good players. The The only way they could be unfit is if they haven't trained hard enough because you just mentioned it. They didn't play that many games in the, in the last month. So what were they doing in the training session? Did he say, oh, they can have complete I mean, they, they, they came off the bench in a bunch yeah. of games, but they didn't start. Like no. This is what I'm saying. It's like he purposely rested them for this game mm. and then he has to take them off for their 70 more minutes. I don't understand it. No. Is something wrong with him? Is something wrong with their fitness? Well, it... Tammy Abraham, Tammy Abraham ran back from a set play. Suddenly, he'd been running around all time, and then suddenly started jogging back and making a fuss and all that sort of stuff. So he was almost telling the bench, I've got to come off. So he, he obviously was lacking a bit of fitness. And the same with Pellegrini, because you're absolutely I, right. When those two players came off, where, was, where were Roma going to score a goal? Unless it was from a set play. How were they going to get up the pitch? I wasn't quite sure because Belotti wasn't going to hold it up and he wasn't going to run in behind. They had nobody to pass no, it the into. The only way was yeah. a set piece, which is set how they piece. nearly scored with yeah. uh, with, with Chris Smalling. Um, a word on Sevilla because I, you know this is a club that's had a whole bunch of mm. financial issues, mm. off-the-pitch issues. We were so used to seeing them in the top four. I, and obviously you had the Monchi Magic and... I mean, this is the year where I think things really fell apart because they, they, they you know, they obviously they, they sold Kunde and Diego Carlos for a lot of money. It's a big turnover. Mm-hmm. You look at these players and you're like, okay, how are they gonna whip out another miracle when you've got, you know, 38 year old mm-hmm. Jesus Navas, Rakitic can't yeah. be far off that, and this series just not. Rakitic, who at that good. age still played the whole game and still looked a, a, a really top. Yeah, amazing player. how Rakitic does yeah. it, but Tammy Abraham can't. And, I mean, the, I, and Navas stayed on for quite a long time. Yeah. yeah, his age as well, and he got up and down the right hand side. Uh, maybe they should hire some fitness coaches from mm. Spain. I don't know, but um, it, this does suggest with the money coming in, they can compete next season yeah. for a spot in the Champions League again, and maybe hope to do something in Europe. Yeah, the manager's done a very good job in the time he's been there. I think he's simplified things. They've got some decent players. Um, but he's got to pick the, the right side. I think they've got to get some defenders in. I mean, uh, I like Goodell. Uh, Rekic isn't quite good enough. There's one or two other players that I don't think are quite good enough. Bade's this kid, he did not have a good night. He didn't have a good night. He was, he was at fault for the goal. He, yeah. was, he, was, he went too tight to the other player. So, yeah. So, obviously, missing Acuna. Montiel, I, I know he mm. scored an important goal mm. in, the, in the World Cup final and mm. also gave away a penalty in like the last yeah. night of the World Cup. I don't think he's very good on the ball at all. No. I don't, I'm not surprised he didn't start in this game. I mean, uh, no, and Fernando, 
he's not particularly mobile these days, you know, and it's, they were relying, relying on Rakitic in that midfield area to be yeah. the passer, to be the one that could turn and switch the play, and he switched the play brilliantly. That was key to what they did in the second half, switching the play out to their wide players. Watch your space. They've gotten creative in the past. Um, I think they're going to have to do it again this summer. Absolutely. Robert, we've been told that it was happening. Mm-hmm. We've been told he'd signed, but still no official uh, uh, announcement. And then at long last, back on Monday, we hear Mauricio Pochettino is the new Chelsea manager. He is actually signed, which presumably means he's coming. He's not coming until July 1st for some reason that's not fully clear mm-hmm. to me. Maybe it has to do with compensation from his previous job, but Chelsea suddenly being chintzy about paying off a month's wages. I don't know. Um Right choice? I think it's a good choice. I think he's a manager that knows what he wants. He's a manager that manages the board very well. When he was at Tottenham, the first thing he said to Daniel Levy, he said, if I hear that you come in to the dressing room or you're phoning up players or you're asking what's going on in the training ground, I'll walk out this club. So he managed Daniel Levy very well for the time he was there. He's going to manage Bowley (laughs) Bowley as well. Uh, And that's going to be the first thing he's got to do. Then he's got to make sure he gets the best out of the players. He's got to make some good decisions who goes and who stays. He's got to have a formation and a system that they play week in, week out, and he knows exactly what he's getting from the players. So I think it's a good decision. I I like the fact that he's played different systems. He understands football. He's he's a man manager. Mm-hmm. He's good with players. He's pragmatic. Um, I think those are all pluses. Some minuses, perhaps. I don't think he's the most collegial manager in terms mm-hmm. of listening to the sporting director and the sporting mm. director's plans. You know, he often knows better and goes off with his own guys. Um, I think that's important at Chelsea because they actually have two sporting directors, um, plus a technical director, of course. Uh, I also think that, because this is how fans often think, is if he starts having a rough time, the fact that, you know, he comes from Spurs and was a Spurs manager and they had the Battle of the Bridge and all this other stuff, it's not going to help him. It shouldn't make a difference because he's, mm-hmm. he's a professional. Um, I think people will also... If things go awry, people immediately point out like, oh, look, what have you ever won? And other than, you know, I think it's a French Cup and a French League with Paris Saint-Germain, where, you know, frankly, my phone could probably win one of those. Um, You know, he hasn't won much. So all this stuff will come into play, but Mm. you had to bring somebody in. And Mm. I think from a football perspective, he's solid. But what I can't work out is... Do you think he has any sense now of what formation he might play or is that going to remain fluid until he assesses the players? If he knows he's going to have that job and he's known for quite a while, he'd have watched every video of every game that Chelsea have played. So he'll, he won't need to have the players in training to know what they can and can't do. He'll have in his mind what he wants to do, which players will be in the side, which players he'll want to get rid of, which players don't affect. But formation, are we talking... Three, five, are we uh, coming back three or are we coming back four? I'm, I, w- I wouldn't know that. The one thing that he's got to do, if he wants to play the pressing game that he's done in the past, then you have to not have enough players in the front areas to do that. So it's going to have. To, so it's more importantly what he does in the front areas in terms of does he press with three, does he press with four, does he have three pressing up high up, and then a midfield player going and joining the midfield players, all that sort of stuff. That's the most important thing for Pochettino. But he plays with three at the back, four. But it's so. Three and four changes all the time by just the way the fullbacks can push on. What strikes me about uh, about the situation is we believe Chelsea have signed Christopher Nkunku. That's mm. another situation where we don't know, we don't have any idea mm. kind of, you know, because mm. they haven't made a statement. But um, if Nkunku comes in, Nkunku's only ever played, I mean, he's played different roles, but 
you know, he was a top scorer in the Bundesliga mm. this past season, despite mm. I think only starting like 20 odd games. Um, he's played in the front too, you know, mm. and he's been very productive that way, sort of as a second striker. He can't play up front on his own. Mm. If you put him on the wing, you know, you already have a fair amount of competition mm. there and Raheem Sterling and Mihailo Mudrik to name but two, but you know, there's more obviously. So I'm just, so I, I would have thought logically you're going to play a front two. And then it's Sterling and Havertz, maybe, mm -hmm. if he likes Havertz. I know not everybody does. Or Sterling and a new center forward, maybe Lukaku coming back. I, sorry, Sterling, Nkunku, I meant. Um, how do you see this? Does, what, do you, what do you make of Nkunku? And is that his best role? That's his best role. Um, when I've seen him play, sometimes it's been with a centre forward and two players either side of a centre forward, just that little bit deeper, so in a front three, and he's making runs beyond. He'll come short at times, he'll link up, he'll play little one-twos with a front player, he'll run through the inside left channel or run, run through the inside right channel. He can also play, as you said, in a, off a front player and make runs beyond him at the right time. So it all depends who he thinks is a centre forward to play alongside him. You know, if, if if Lukaku comes back and then you can play like uh, Martinez did with Lukaku at Inter, that would work perfectly. That's a, that's a, an ideal combination. Um, or whether he says, no, I'm going to play with three fluent front, th a, a fluent front three, which then Havertz could still be the main right. striker. You know, okay. could... uh, I'm, I'm not as down on Havertz as many people mm. are, but we're going to get into this more. And I think all this talk of strikers, I think Chelsea's real issue is in the middle of the park. All right, Rob, let's just carry on a little bit with this because so much of the focus at Chelsea because of their issue scoring goals this year and everybody knows the stat. Oh, look, mm. you know, was it Erling Haaland scored more than they did? Ha, ha, ha. Um, but I actually think there's a big issue in in the middle of the park. And yep. The reason I say this is take Enzo aside and we can debate, you know, obviously, his, uh, his transfer fee and whatever. But of the other central midfielders, Mateo Kovacic, we're going to talk about this later, he's got a year left on his contract. I don't think he's getting a new deal. In fact, he's, mm. he's, he's in talks with Manchester City right now. Uh, N'Golo Conte's contract is up, and I don't think it's going to be renewed, uh, at least as of, as of right now. Uh, Zakaria, who they brought in as an extra midfielder, he's going to go back on loan to Juventus, and I don't think will be missed at Chelsea. Andre Santos, who they spent a lot of money on to sign, he can't get a work permit, so he's still in Brazil. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, his contract expires in 2025. You have to decide either you sell now or you extend him. Uh, he's been linked to Milan and, and to other clubs. Um, I think I've covered everybody with two guys mm -hmm. left. Connor Gallagher, yep. and who I think is also 2025 or 2026. Yep. And Mason Mount, who's a year away from free agency. He's been linked to other clubs. I, am I forgetting a Chelsea no, I don't think midfielder, so. central no. midfielder? Okay, so... You basically have Enzo. If these guys go, and many people say they have to sell them also to try to balance mm. the books and maybe they're not good enough or whatever, most of these guys go. You're going to have to bring in several mm. central midfielders. Enzo's very good. He can't play central midfield no. by himself or, or just him and Connor Gallagher. If you like Gallagher, and yeah. I know not uh, everybody does. Yeah, I mean, the, all those players you mentioned, they're, they're all good players. But are they going to make Chelsea top four contenders alongside Enzo? If Conte, made Chelsea top four contenders yeah. before, most yeah. of them. If, yeah. If Conte was fully fit 
you'd have to give him another because he's still yeah he, and if man had wheels should be a bicycle yeah, let's, let's yeah. not go down that okay so, like, so that there's the big okay. issue if Conte was fit he would be in the side he would be but he's not the same player he was but even if he was fit to extend his contract now that he's entering free agency would just cost them an absolute mint and I'm not sure how much mm. money they can spend given the amount of money this is a team that lost half a billion before Bowley even came in so it goes back to the mismanagement of buying their players, their recruitment. So they've got all these players, they've got several centre-backs, they've got loads of full-backs, they've got lots of front players or players that play off the front, lots of wide players, but no central midfield players that are good enough to take Chelsea to that next level. I mean, they have a lot of guys who I think are very solid Premier League players Mm. who they can move on, even, you know, guys who came through the youth academy, Mm. um, you know, guys who they brought in and whatever. And I think they're very pretty explicit. They view these as Mm. assets, right? The problem with assets is they don't always necessarily appreciate. Mm. Um, you know, last night we did the FC show. We heard from James Ollie about, oh, yeah, maybe they'll cash in on on Kai Havertz and move him on, right? And I mean to myself, Kai Havertz is a really, really big contract. Mm. Uh, Chelsea paid, I think, eighty million for him, yep. something like that. Um, you're if you don't want to sell him at a loss, you're going to have to and get. And it's also his wages. Yeah, yeah, and he's got he's got really big wages, mm. and he's in that level where the clubs who can afford Kai Havertz who can afford to give you sixty or eighty million for Kai Havertz and pay his wages, right? Because people never seem to always seem to ignore that part that they're paying lower wages now. But you know, before Boldy Abramovich paid really high wages, um, the kind of clubs that can afford to do that, they don't, don't want Kai Havertz. They've got better players, right? Uh, and the clubs who would say, yeah, we'll take him, say, well, we'll, we'll take him, but you got to help us out. Like Inter Milan mm. with Lukaku, where you end mm. up, you know, <clears throat> spending, you, you end up paying like a big chunk of his wages and so on. Or as happened with Inter, I mean, they signed Cesare Casadei, who's really, really mm. good. They signed an Inter youth player for 20 million. Would it have been 20 million in that situation um, if they didn't also have the Lukaku thing going on? I'm not 100% sure, right? So you... You put all these things together, and I don't think it's quite that straightforward. For me, mm. you don't think about moving Havertz on. You make it work. Mm. You've got Havertz. You've got Broja, uh, who I really, really like. Yeah, I he's, think he's, gonna, he's, he's, he's done well whenever I've seen him play. And, you know, Nkunku, Sterling, these are your strikers. You know, I make it work with that. And, mm. I, and I think if you're Pochettino, you can say, you know what? This is a good group of players. I can make so when Pochettino goes in there, he's got to either make his mind up to play the way he wants to and work the players around that, or he looks at the players and says, these can do this job, this is the way I'm going to have to play. So he, he, he bases his formation and his tactics around the players right. rather than the other way around. Which I think is what most good managers do, especially yeah, initially, point, because they yeah. know that they come in, they can't change 20 no. players, right? He doesn't have that luxury going in here. Mm. And I think actually Pochettino... He's pretty good at that. Yeah. He hasn't, you know, he's played an aggressive pressing style. Mm. He's also not played that. Yeah. He was at Paris Saint-Germain, you know, and he, he had... can't press with those three up. He's not going to press with Neymar and Messi, right? right? So I think you're actually getting somebody who is kind of a Swiss Army mm. knife, a really good pragmatist. I think there's a certain, there's a certain parallel mm. between Pochettino and one of my favorites, of course, Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. And I'm not just referring mm. to you know the way their mm. heads look um i'm referring to the fact that these are generally good man managers that they can be pragmatic that they can be different styles now mm. 
one of the key differences is one of those two has won a ton of league mm. titles and Champions Leagues. And the, the only, the only thing you'd say well. with Pochettino, when he went in at Southampton, he completely changed the way they played. When he went in at Tottenham, he completely changed the way they played. Will he be looking to do the same at Chelsea? Right. Or as you, as we've discussed... When he went in at Paris Saint-Germain, he didn't change the no, way no, they played. No, he, so, he couldn't. Or he realised it wouldn't be worth it. No. He realised we can reach our goals, or some of them anyway. So, um, again, I don't have an issue with Pochettino appointment. I just think it's a monumental, monumental task ahead. And I'm really concerned about how they're going to ha- make this work financially in terms of balancing the books. Absolutely. All right, enough, Chelsea. How about some quick hits instead? Absolutely. Let's go. Eric Ten Hag gave the biggest hint yet that Harry Maguire is free to go. Robbo, performances aside, he's 30 years old. He has two years left on his contract. Hearings are reported £190,000 a week, which is close to €12 euros a year. Is he likely to have takers? Not with that wage. Unless Manchester United are prepared to pay some of the wage or whatever or, or give a, uh, a fee that's a cut price. Harry Maguire needs to play football. He needs to go to a club where he's going to play every week. He's still a very good player. He's had a bad time at Manchester United. He's lost his confidence. He's never going to get a, a, a starting spot at Manchester United on a regular basis. He needs to move on to save his career, I think. Now, Juventus have reached a plea bargain agreement with the Italian's FA's prosecutors over the improperly declared bonuses. Gab, are they getting, they're getting a fine of €718,000. Is that fair? So... It's funny because a lot of people think that this is unfair. A lot of people think that um, they're angry about the plea bargain. They think Juventus are getting off uh, lightly uh, and whatnot. And I understand that side of the argument. I also, frankly, understand the other side. So you have to look at this in the context of the other punishment they got for uh, for the swaps, for the... Um, eventually, the punishment was for... Uh, well, violating the ethics code, basically, yeah. because they said that all these artificially, or, or the, the prosecution found, or the court found, that all these uh, swap deals with artificially inflated uh, uh, prices were part of a concerted effort to cook the books. And so they got a 10-point penalty, which I think is actually a really stiff penalty. It cost them a place in the Champions League, which then is a knock-on effect, will cost them a mm-hmm. lot of money. Um, the problem is... There's facts, and then there's proving facts. Same thing here with the with the bonuses, right? Where they essentially committed accounting fraud because the players agreed to take a pay cut, and they told people that they took a pay cut. In reality, it wasn't it wasn't really a pay cut. It wasn't pay cut for that amount because then they said they made these sort of private agreements with them that saying like, "Well, we'll give you a golden farewell when we sell you or whatever. Yeah. And we'll make up most of that money." I mean. As part of the settlement agreement, Juventus have agreed not to appeal uh, this case or obviously or to appeal the the other case with the 10 point penalty. I think that was really important from the perspective of the Italian FA to move on. It's really important. This doesn't drag on to next season. The way I see it, you, the, the people at Juventus who committed this crime, the, these alleged crimes are all gone. Um, the club will be hit with not playing in Europe, which can mm. cost them anywhere between 50 and 80 million. They still have to deal with whatever UEFA's punishment is going to be because they take accounting fraud very seriously as well. Hopefully we can move on. Hopefully we lay down a marker and say, you cannot do this kind of things. And broader picture, I'm okay with this settlement 
because they've been taken into account. Thomas Tuchel is reportedly pursuing Declan Rice. And uh, according to reports in Germany, is willing to build the midfield around him. Robbo, if you're Joshua Kimmich, mm. how do you feel about this? Are you like, hey, hey, that's his mind position? Absolutely, because that's what he does. He lets Goretzka run forward and he's the holding midfield player who gets on the ball. He's uh, not as athletic as Declan Rice. I think it's a slight worry for Kimmich. He can play out right back, but you won't want to want him to put him there. There's better right backs than Kimmich. So, yeah, worrying for, for Joshua Kimmich. The Times are reporting that UEFA are considering a hard salary cap to run alongside their financial sustainability rules. Gab, what would, you, what would this mean to you? So basically, financial sustainability rules is replace financial fair play. Yeah. Essentially, you can only spend a certain percentage of your annual turnover on players' wages and agent commissions. So if you've got mm. a high turnover, you can spend much more yeah. than if you're a smaller club with a lower turnover. They would also introduce another hard salary cap, which would be the same for everyone, which, which would cap the amount that you could pay, you could spend on wages. Um, salaries and agent commissions, uh, regardless of how much your uh, mm. of, of, of how much your um, uh, your financial sustainability says. Um, I think the clubs would most would probably like this because obviously it lowers uh, mm. spending. But the question is, is it legal under the European Union's perspective? Um, and they'll likely set it so high that you still have big clubs vastly outspending the, mm. the smaller ones. Um, I think it's just a talking point, but Sheffrin did hint at it in the past. Chelsea have granted Manchester City permission to speak to Mateo Kovacic. Robbo, he has a year left on his contract. Are you surprised City like him that much that they want to talk to him? Uh, I like him as a player. I think he's a very good player. If they're looking at Gundogan going, I think he's a, Gundogan's had an excellent uh, recent uh, season. Kovacic, I think, is a, a top-quality player. And in amongst other top-quality players at Man he'll City... he be even better. He'll be even better. So I can see that happening, uh, and I can understand why they're interested in him. Uh, L'Equipe in France reporting that Inter Miami are ready to sign up Lionel Messi and then immediately send him back on loan to Barcelona for 18 months. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make any sense. No. It doesn't make sense to Inter Miami because, you know what, I, I have messaged to... MLS teams and people who more people who write about MLS teams mm. from Europe, they're not all morons in the U.S. Mm. They have televisions, they have the internet, and they know that if I'm into Miami and I'm going to make a huge commitment to Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi in 18 months' time isn't going to be as good as Lionel Messi today because, as Rocky Balboa said, time is undefeated. Mm. It's going to pass even for him. So. This makes no. This makes very little sense. You know, they, they they sign him and then oh, but look, you go play for Barcelona. We'll pick up all the wages. It didn't work for Frank well, Lampard, did it? No, but it's 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 silly. Or the other thing is the argument being that you know the way the MLS season runs, he could play for Barcelona and then come back and then like what you're gonna make this guy play 12 months mm. out of the year and there's a Copa America coming up. Uh, I, I this seems extremely extremely far fetched to me. It seems like something that originates in Barcelona actually with Laporta saying like, ooh, how can we get Messi back mm. for free? <laughs> Mason Mount also has a year left on his contract and is strongly linked to Manchester United. Robo, is this a good fit? When you have Eriksen, Bruno Fernandes, I mean, is this a great player, but... He's a very good player. Uh, is he as good as Bruno Fernandes? I'm not sure he is. Is he more mobile than Eriksen? Yes, he is. Um, you have other priorities if you know Yeah, don't you? I would say so. And then, But if you're going to play him and Bruno Fernandes in the team, that leaves Casemiro as the holding midfield player that's got a lot of work to do. I can't see that working. So if I was Eric Ten Hag, that wouldn't be one of my options. <laughs> 
Now, I don't know uh, how seriously you can take this, Gab, but there are reports that Karim Benzema has received a massive offer from Saudi Arabia. He's a free agent. Would he go there? I don't know if he'd go there. I, I mean, it's interesting. His contract, he is also, as you mm. said, his contract's up. I think if you're Real Madrid, um, would you, you know, he, he's on a big wage. Would you say I'd rather give that money to a younger guy who might or rather than try to squeeze another year out of him. Um, I don't know that you'd be too bummed to go. I think, though, equally, if you're Benzema, uh, I don't know that at this stage of his career he needs to be motivated by money or huge contracts, unless he feels like a real need to be an evangelist for Saudi football. And he might do. He might Obviously, he's Muslim. Maybe there's religious mm-hmm. reasons or whatever. I, I don't think this makes much sense for him, You know, given where Benzema is right now. Yeah, he's still one of the world's best players. Napoli have said goodbye to Luciano Spalletti. Reportedly, the choice now is between Porto's Sergio Conceição and one of my personal favorites, Fiorentina's Vincenzo Italiano. Robbo, if Aurelio De Laurentiis called you up asking for advice, what would you tell him out of those two? Uh, I, I would say to him, make sure you get a manager that's going to continue playing the same style of football, that's going to continue what you've been doing so well, uh, follow the lines that Spalletti has taken. Who would I pick out those two? I'm going to go with you, Italiano. I do. It'd certainly be entertaining. Uh, Milan are reportedly close to signing Kamada as a free agent from Eintracht Frankfurt. Gab, is this a good deal? He's 26 years old. He's a high-energy player. Mm. Um, kind of plays in sort of that, you know, he's played mostly sort of central midfield, attacking midfield for, for Frankfurt on a very attacking so team. instead of Benacea? No, I, I think it would be... Benacer's playing in the attacking role at the moment. Yeah, you know? no, but I think Benacer would play further back yeah. with Tonali. And, you know, I think it, it would initially be a, a depth signing. Mm. Uh, I wonder what this means, as with all things, for Charles de mm. Quetelet, who I don't think you can give up on after no. a year, but you have to find his best position. Chelsea won't bring back Joel Felix as he's being offered to Newcastle. Uh, Robbo, is he a fit? He's an excellent player. We, we know that if he's given enough opportunity and if he can get on the ball... Um, is he a? Yeah, if my aunt had wheels, yeah, she'd be a bicycle. Yeah. Is he is he effective enough? Is he does he get involved enough? They've got players that can play wide. They've got players that can play in the hole behind. I think he's a better bet than say, and he'll be more reliable than someone like Sam Maxima. Um, and he could play off the front player. Um, and Joe Linton can still play in his left-sided midfield position. So yeah, it would be a good fit. He's a sort of player that would improve Newcastle. I would say. For all that money? No. Is it, is it, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't go near the guy. I think the guy's got serious issues for all his talent. Carl Himes Rubeniger has been reappointed to Bayern's supervisory board. Gab, is this good news for the club after the departures of Oliver Kahn and Hazan Salihamidic? Uh, what I find really interesting, we talked about this with Jules on Monday. It's mm. like they're rolling back the clock, right? Uli Hoeneß, mm. uh, the man in the shadows, moving pieces around. Rubeniger didn't always see eye to eye. Uh, to Honus, but nobody's going to um, question his his love for the club, his his commitment to the club, the fact that he's buying through and through. Like so are Khan and Halim and Salihamidzic, but uh, I think it says that they're going to be perhaps a little bit more conservative, a bit fewer flights of fancy, mm-hmm. and and they're going to re- regroup around uh, the old guard mm-hmm. because tell you what, this is a big summer for them. Tottenham Hotspur are expected to announce their new boss in a couple of weeks, maybe sooner. And the buzz right now is all about mm. Celtics. Ange Postacoglu 
What do you make of him, Robbo? Well, I first saw him or, or studied him when he was the manager of Australia and he did a very good job there. The only thing, and he's done a very good job at Celtic. He seems to have got the best out of the players. The crowd love him. Everybody seems to love him at the moment. He seems to be a good man manager. Uh, that's what Tottenham need. They also need a good coach. He's a good coach. But there's been a lot of people that have been successful at Celtic and not quite taking it on. Yeah, but he's not a lot of people. But like I, I, I am like I'm. I'm not saying Ange is the second coming, and I don't think he's ever operated obviously mm. at the level of the Premier League. And I'm biased because I've spent time with him, and I really, really like him. But all the is reasons, he going to make you director of football or something? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't think they can afford me. But I, I think you know those things that you highlighted. The fact that he can mm. get the crowd to love him. The fact that. I think he plays attractive football. Mm. Um, I think these things matter. Mm. They I, do to Tottenham supporters, yeah. I, and they, but they also matter where Tottenham are mm. right now. They've um, hated their previous, two of the three of their previous managers. This would be yeah, good... I mean, I don't know that they hated Conte at first or they no, hated no. Mourinho at first, but both have that edge. Ange isn't that kind of guy. And they didn't play good football. And yeah, and the football was was what it was. Now, Gab, you love your football finance. Tell me about the this new bond they're issuing. The Barcelona are issuing mm. Barcelona. The Barcelona big bond. They um, like I don't want to. I'm going to try to not make this boring for people who don't care about this. But essentially, they've arranged 1.45 uh, billion euros in financing, and this is all to to go and redo mm. the camp. Now, um, they're paying between 6% and 7.22% on bonds, which will reach maturity between 2028 and 2047. Um, People who know more about this than I do say that it's actually a pretty high interest rate to pay. Uh, It's not a great time to go and issue bonds like this because Mm -hmm. if you're a mortgage owner, Mm -hmm. you'll know that interest rates tend to be high right now. Um, On the flip side, they need to redo the camp. No, they obviously don't have any money to do it. Um, And if they can do it, they think that they can get 200 million in additional revenue a year. I'm really skeptical that you can get 200 million in additional revenue a year from out of that stadium when you consider it's already so big. I mean, unless you're going to go and like jack up the uh, the ticket prices even more, build a billion luxury boxes for tourists, I don't know. But it is something they need to upgrade. They need to get out of it. My concern would be like, oh, look, here's more debt yeah. at a time when you've mortgaged your future and you'll be getting less revenue because you've sold out you know, troubling times of the, of Barcelona or I think they've been troubling for a long time but they got to do something to get out mm. of it and one thing you say about Laporta is he's not afraid to take chances and sometimes you have to take risks but I don't know if these are the right risks Yuri Tielemans has left Leicester City on a free transfer Robbo not long ago I thought he was one of the very best midfielders in the Premier League if not mm-hmm. Europe um he hasn't been good since I said that uh but he's available for nothing I Surely he's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, he hasn't he's not been injured. He's not no. turned bad all the time. Remember, Arsenal were desperate to sign him a little while ago. Um, he's, a, he's a good all-round midfielder. He can do a bit of everything. He's a good passer of the ball. He can make forward runs. He can score decent goals, as we saw in the cup final. He's good defensively. He seems to be a good character. Unfortunately, he didn't have a great season for Leicester, but he would be a player that I'm sure would get back to his previous form if he went to one of the okay. better clubs. I, I'm not being funny now, right? Mm. For me he would be the best or second best midfielder at the following clubs straight away. Arsenal. Yeah. And you can take Udegaard ahead of him, a slightly mm. different position the mm. way he plays, right? Yeah. United. All right, maybe you still take Casemiro ahead of him, but I'd have him ahead of Fred mm. and McTominay. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you would too. Yeah. Uh, Spurs, let's not even go there. Chelsea. If you think what about Newcastle? 
uh, Bruno Guimaraes really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Bruno Guimaraes would be better. But even what I'm saying is like... Better than Longstaff, who plays on the right. I, yes, better than both Longstaff put together. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I look at this and I think this is a no-brainer. He's got a ton of leverage. Um, I know maybe because of the difficulties he's had in the mm. last 18 months, maybe his price is going to go down a little. But I think you're getting a, a, a hell of a player and a guy mm. who's really motivated uh, if, if you go out and sign him. Galatasaray have been crowned champions of Turkey, Gab. And guess who the top scorer is? One of your favourites. Absolutely. Maurito Icardi, where have you gone? He's on loan from Paris Saint-Germain. People, I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who thought that he retired. No, he hasn't retired. He's played. He's been really, really good. 21 league goals in 23 league games for Galatasaray this season. Um, he's not even the top scorer. Top scoring? So he's found his love for football again, has he? I, I he's found his goal scoring form mm. anyway. Uh, the top score actually is Ener Valencia, twenty nine goals this year, by the mm. way. Um, but it's funny. I mean, I'm not making fun of Galatasaray. Gala fans don't get angry. But if you go through the squad list, this is like a who's who of like circa 2017, right? I'm just going to chuck some names at you. You've got Fernando Muslera. You've got Sergio Oliveira, Lucas Torreira, Dries Mertens, Patrick Van Anholt. Bafe Gomis, who I think must be in his 40s now. Juan Mata. He must be nearly in his 40s as well. He's Juan getting Mata. up there too. And the guy is slightly different, Nicolò Zagnolo, of course. Mm. Um, but no, I, 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 I am genuinely wondering. I mean, I don't know. If, we don't know what's going to happen to Paris Saint-Germain, mm. but would you consider? Would you say like, hey, come to training camp. Let's see what, what you can do. Ekitike is fine, but, you mm. know, we can maybe use you. Would they be so daft as to go down that road? No, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think no. so. No. ESPN sources report that Jose Lu could be coming back to Real Madrid on loan following Espanyol's relegation. Rabo, on the one hand, he did score 16 goals this season on a pretty bad team and, mm-hmm. in fact, scored double figures in each of the last three or four years. Um, and, of course, he started out at Castilla, if I'm not mistaken. On the other, he's 33 and doesn't really get folks excited, but... If you're going to have a backup center forward, he's, well, he, the, you'd, you'd replace him uh, or you'd replace Mariano for. I amazing <laughs> yeah. that you would replace Mariano Diaz. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, does this it, make sense? It, and a loan deal? It's. Yeah, I think so because, yes, I think Real Madrid need a, another center forward coming in. There's been talk about all different people. Uh, because Benzema's not, and we've already discussed Benzema, he's not going to be around for... No, if Benzema yeah. moves, you assume they get an alien centre-forward yeah. and Jose yeah. Lu backs him up, right? Yeah, that, that, that's got to be the case. You know, you need a centre-forward that you can play every so often. This season, when they needed a new centre-forward, they've had to play Asensio up there, they've played Rodrigo up there, they've never played, or once or twice, Mariano, and Hazard has completely gone now, so they're two players that uh, are hopeless. So and, and comes in. I, I think Asensio's had a good season. I, I yeah. think he should stick around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not as a centre-forward. But not as a centre forward. Same thing with 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 Rodrigo. I yeah, think he's, he's a right been winger. Phenomenal. Scored a yeah. ton of goals this year. Mm-hmm. But you know I, he can play through the middle if you need him to. But it's not his best position. Right. It's not what you get. You know I, I think they're at the stage where you want these guys to have settled positions, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, why not Hosello? Now the British government have issued a statement urging broadcasters and FIFA to reach a deal to show the Women's World Cup. Gab, I know you and Jules have talked about this before, but what do you think? Yeah, and I'm going to talk about this again because I think this is important. I think this is an underreported story. Um, The Women's World Cup kicks off this summer. And as of right now, there are five countries, the the, the big five, as they call them in Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, England, France, Germany, Spain and Italy, 
where nobody has bought the rights to the Women's World Cup. And I'm glad you put Italy down at fifth. Well, whatever, whatever order you want to put them in. And it's interesting because people come out and, you know, and rightly so, they made a big stink about FIFA and the mm -hmm. treatment of women's football, which I think is a lot better than it was because it was absolutely shameful before. Maybe it's not where people want it to be yet. And people talk about equal pay and they should mm -hmm. earn as much as the men, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think broadcasters need to pay up for this. Um, FIFA has said, we're not just going to give these rights away. We're not going to sell them for uh, a pittance. Um, my understanding is all of these offers have been for less than 10 million euros for the entire tournament. Um, that's been the highest one mm -hmm. that they've received. Uh, FIFA is saying, you know what, we'll just show them, we'll just stream them on FIFA Plus um, if, if you don't pay up. Mm -hmm. um, and I think broadcasters can't have it both ways. They can't go and campaign. This is the point FIFA makes. Mm -hmm about equal pay and so on mm. if you don't value these rights absolutely then you know you need to you need to go and sum up the money now the many of these are public service broadcasters who some of them get money directly from the government others uh as is the case here in, in, in other in in england and in italy i don't know about other countries but you pay a license fee which you know the government mm. gives you a charter and so on so the government is involved in this the government these are not entirely independent they have they're lobbying for this deal to be done I think this is a situation where maybe as a one-off, governments have to say, if we value this, if we value this aspect of the sport, it is part of our role to make sure this gets on our television. And if our broadcasters say, no, because the games are on in the middle of the night or whatever else, we can't afford to, to pay in for In your them. view, will they be showing the Women's World Cup in England? I think they have to. Mm. And you know what? If the government has to go and cut a check to help the broadcaster out, to make sure that mm. these are on as an additional public service mm. or whatever. Yeah. I think it's something they should do because women's football has so much momentum right now. You got to keep um, it going. Yeah, but equally broadcasters have to balance the books mm. and equally FIFA mm. has to say all this extra prize money, where's this money going to come from? Because, you know, right now it's still being subsidized by the men's game and yeah. will be for a while unless it gets the exposure and the marketing that it needs to grow and, and become more commercially viable. The Football Association fearing protests at this weekend's FA Cup final from uh, Just Stop Oil and other environmental groups. Uh, for those who don't know, these guys, they've done it at a bunch of sporting events. They kind of run onto the field mm. and throw this like green powder in the air and just try to be disruptive to, to mm. highlight their cause. Um, so they're reportedly employing what are described as sprint stewards, which I assume are very fast stewards who can uh, instantly tackle pitch invaders. Robo, what's your take? Is it, this is money well spent? Because I always wondered, why do they do this? It's always some like, you know, chunky middle-aged man in like a yellow <laughs> vest or like a 16-year-old yeah. girl who looked like she could be working down the mall. Why not do this? Absolutely. And they've got to be good at rugby as well, I would imagine, Went to, to take down the uh, person who's run onto the pitch. That would be a great idea, wouldn't it? You know what? I, I send sympathy for Just Stop Oil. If I had enough money, you know what I would do? Go on. I would hire a kickoff returner, a recently retired kickoff returner from, uh, uh, from the NFL. Yeah. And I would pay them a bunch of money and say, look, you're going to go viral. And I would have them run onto the pitch, have them run around in circles and see how long they last out. There. See how many stewards they can wear out. Are you the guy from the top <laughs> college football program? Like, yeah. how are they ever going to catch him? Seriously. Yeah, they would never would. Now, Lautaro Martinez got married this week and Romelu Mazel Lukaku took rapper Megan the Stallion uh, along to the wedding as his date. Gab, is this good preparation for the Champions League final? 
I think so. Why, why not? Like, well, why not? You, they got a couple of days off and, you know, one guy wants to get married. Uh, Lukaku and Megan the Stallion is one of those pairings that I frankly didn't see coming. Is it one of your favorite rappers? I... I, she's not really not really my taste in uh, in rap, but you know a very very talented woman. Um, I don't know. I'm more power to Lukaku, right? I, Absolutely, yeah. Well, he's happy. Right. Get some serenity. Yeah. Right frame of mind before they go and stuff city in Istanbul. Uh, Robo, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure being with you. Um, we're gonna come back and do this all again on Monday with Jules post Disneyland. Uh, until then, love the game, love your neighbor, love yourself. <laughs>